Hello, everybody. This is Tom Holtz, speaking to you from sunny South Florida for the ASPA American Society for Public Administration uh, podcast. Uh, This is the latest edition, and we have a few people on today that we'd like to introduce. First of all, my co-host, Ben Paley, uh, who has just finished his law school finals and is busy Running, no, he's shaking his head. He has not finished his law school finals. So he's taking a break, and uh, the professor is going to find him and uh, cite him uh, with uh, the theory of latches. And uh, that will get him absolutely everywhere. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing good, Tom. I got one more final, if you're yeah. wondering. So I'm, uh, I'm all good. No worries. Uh huh. Which one is that? Which subject? Wills and trusts. Oh, good. Not time for me yet, but it's good to know. Uh, And our special guest is Lisa M. Garrett. Lisa Garrett is the, uh, and she'll correct me if I'm wrong, the Chief of Personnel for Los Angeles County. Uh, She is here with us from Los Angeles, California. Uh, Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? Hello, Tom. I'm here in sunny Los Angeles, California, and I just want to say thank you for having me on your podcast. I think this is my first, so thanks. And really it's, uh, nice to meet Ben too. Yes, it is. I wow. usually well, this a is... person, but it's wonderful to be on a podcast. Thanks. This is really an honor. Then it really is. And uh, and although uh, I'm going to surprise Lauren Franklin, uh, Lisa's very capable associate, uh, who is also here today, I'm just going to shout out and say, hi, Laura, you shouldn't hide. How are you today, Lauren? Oh, very well. Thank you for the surprise shout out. There you go. There you go. She has a great broadcasting voice, doesn't she? Yes, she does. uh, Absolutely. Brilliant. And she is uh, worth her weight in gold. We're going to hire her, aren't we? Uh, we'll steal it. <laughs> yeah. Any, anyway, so um, I would uh, like to proceed now uh, with our with our topic today and, of course, best practices in uh, public administration. But before we do that, we do have a couple of questions to ask. And uh, uh, Ms. Garrett was an attorney before she transitioned into human resources. So I'm going to start that out now since Ben is a second year law student. I'm going to have, have him ask the first couple of questions. So I'm going to turn that over to you, Ben. Go right ahead. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Lisa, as we've already um, stated, you started your career in, in the law. Um, why don't you tell our viewers and us about the passion that initially made you want to enter into the legal field? the options you considered in specializing, and then why you eventually ended up working uh, for the public sector in Los Angeles County? Sure, Ben. Uh, Good questions. I have to say, uh, first of all, that it was my passion for helping and serving others that brought me to a career in public service. Um, Actually, I started my career um, as an aide in the office of an elected uh, local official during my last year at UCLA. And I loved handling constituent complaints and working with the public that really needed assistance from the government. So that was my first bug. And then after college, I worked uh, for local government as an investigator. And I was uh, sort of an advocate for tenants. And I worked in the housing department. Well, I had landlord tenant laws and local uh, rent stabilization policies. And I was also required to serve as an expert witness. And uh, the attorneys for the city would bring me in 
and uh, used my reports um, for court and I served as a subject matter expert. Now, when I was sitting on the uh, stand one day and they were questioning me, I thought, you know what, they're using my work. And um, when I looked at their salary, they were making a little bit more than me. And I thought, I think I can do some legal work here. And so then I decided uh, I'm going to be a paralegal. And I told one of my best friends at the time, his name was David Levy. He said, well, why would you be a paralegal when you could be an attorney? And he actually challenged my thinking. And I took him up on the challenge. And then I actually started um, in law school. I continued working full time during the day. And then I went to law school at night, Southwestern Law School, and give a shout out to my university. And um, following, uh, after I finished uh, law school, my first uh, real job was as the a DDA, a, D a deputy district attorney for the county of Los Angeles. And uh, my goal actually was then to uh, first uh, go to the criminal bureau and then later become a judge. That's what wow. I wanted to do because I had seen other people doing that. But uh, I was actually assigned to family support uh, in advocating for parentage and child support and arrears for families. So it was the service, not for the thanks, because uh, in that line of work, no one's ever happy, right? Mm. There's always a, uh, something going on, but I was still helping children and families and uplifting communities out of poverty to become self-sustaining. So uh, that was the joy of my existence. Uh, later, I had the opportunity to supervise and then manage those that were doing this work and to develop policies uh, to improve our services and outreach to communities that we serve. So when we speak of passion, I really think there's no higher calling than to serve others, whether you're serving as an attorney, an HR, et cetera. Public service allows you um, to do all of that. So long, uh, that was a long answer, but I would say my passion is what fueled um, my desire to become an attorney so that I could actually help more people. Well, that was that was a perfect answer well, uh, thank you, ben. To, to that question. It, it had multiple parts and you hit each part. Uh, so that was that was great. But I think that that serves as a great segue to my next question, which is kind of taking that passion. And then you went into human resources. Mm -hmm. So what what ultimately made you decide to go into human resources um, versus the law? This what led a, you there? Okay, this is a little bit of an interesting story. We like interesting uh, stories here. Yes, we do oh, on this podcast, which is my first, if I said that already. But as a manager, and I was uh, talking about me working in uh, the DA's office in the Bureau of Family Support and working my way up from entry level all the way up to uh, like the number two person in uh, my department, which is called in the county, uh, a chief deputy director. Then I was also... Uh, chief attorney for that organization as well at the same time. So I had to manage and oversee not only the, the legal aspects of the organization, but also HR and budget. So HR was not on my radar for career. Um, however, I'm sitting at my desk one day and the CEO's office called me and asked, if I would serve as uh, in an acting capacity as the director of personnel until um, they completed the recruitment for the next uh, director. And I have to say, I grudgingly agreed. Uh, then I created this chant, Ben, you wanna learn this when you're in public administration, and it's 
you don't say no to the CEO. <laughs> and as a result of that, I said, this down. sure, write that down, Ben. I said, sure, I'll oh, do boy. it. Now, how long am I going to be over there? Uh, and I came over to HR and I actually loved the job. And now where I was saying I could help children and families and family support, now I had the opportunity to help over 100,000 individuals and their families uh, to be an advocate for them and their development and the support of their families and benefits, et cetera. So HR, I have learned, is a fascinating field with many lines of business. And Ben, I could still practice law. So right. it was a mm -hmm. nice segue. Mm -hmm. And not only do you work in it, you teach in it as well. Yes, you teach I do. Public human resources management in yes, the California I... State University system. Yeah, that. Yes, yes I do. I, I I know plenty of attorneys who became law school professors. That's most of my professors um, were lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um, but then why why did you decide to expand your career into academia? Uh, I love how you said that, academia. I would love to consider myself that. Uh, right now, I'm still considered a guest lecturer, but um, one professor at uh, the university, and actually the dean, had put me on um, one of their executive boards. And, and one of the professors asked me one day, could I come and give, be a guest lecturer in his class? And I said, sure, I will. Um, after doing that, later I was asked if I would teach a class of my own and in the School of Public Administration and the class was an overview of HR. So it's an overview and it's not like uh, getting down into being subject matter expert in every line of business of HR, but an overview. And I will say this for the listeners, I think uh, everyone, all supervisors and managers should take a class in HR because HR is so important when you have to deal with people on a daily basis, no matter what your business is. But I love the classroom and I, I have always considered myself a continuous learner. So I agreed to take on the class. And now this is, I think, my fourth year. And what I find is that my class is like, uh, and I tell all of my students, is like uh, my oasis uh, during my week. I look forward to building and working on the next generation of public service leaders. That is a high honor even of itself as uh, so those are some of the things I do. As best practices, I often bring in subject matter experts from my own department or other agencies to talk about subjects to the class. I also uh, bring in current changes in the law or hot topics uh, to talk to the uh, class about. We have article reviews and I require presentations because, as you know, public speaking is very important uh, in, in the public sector. I also require them to do a leadership development plan. I think this is critical to help undergrads to get focused on who they are, what they bring to the table, what their career goes and how they're going to get there. So um, that's um, one of, those are just a few of the things I do. We also have, um, uh, I do an exercise on diversity, inclusion and equity, uh, which is very important, not just today, but you know we've been doing this for a while now. And I have to give a shout out to the university that makes this uh, a piece, they're actually uh, graded on how they're dealing with um, diversity, inclusion and equity within the university. And so they often call upon me uh, to make sure that I am including that and I do in every class and we do an exercise called walk the line. 
where we uh, watch a video and then we uh, talk about our, you know, what we learned in the video. And so uh, talk about implicit bias, which all of us has, and then empathy for other uh, people of other uh, races, nationalities, sexual orientation, gender, et cetera. So it's a great exercise. And then I have the students write a paper and I can tell you that reading the papers and the backgrounds of uh, my students uh, it's quite fulfilling because you see how far they've come. Some of them are first generation uh, people going to college uh, or and they've had some hard times. Some, something like myself is growing up. And so um, just allowing us to see ourselves and what we can uh, bring and do for our communities um, are, are great things. And that's what that's a value really of being able to teach um, at the university. You know, Lisa, uh, it's interesting that you say that about diversity and equity, because uh, it is such a um, it is such a hot topic today uh, in HR as well as, um, as as well as academe, and of course, hiring practices in academe are you know there are special as you're probably aware uh, there are uh, Chronicle of Higher Education, for instance, has special. Um, uh, has as special uh, sections uh, develop, uh, looking for uh, diversity and inclusion uh, for hiring uh, professors. Um, but I, I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, in terms of diversity and inclusion, I'm sure that you have uh, you have diversity and inclusion uh, in H in HR over there. Uh, I, I would, I, I, this is in, just in line with base, best practices. Can you talk about some of the best practices that you institute? Uh, and I'm also interested in the computer-assisted modalities. I know you have a passion about the automation of HR through various uh, computer-assisted modalities. Uh, so could you, t- could you speak to some of those things? Sure, I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion and um, computers and automation. I'll start off with uh, diversity and inclusion. In the County of Los Angeles, the beauty of working here is that we have such a diverse, uh, we have such a diverse uh, employee uh, population. And not only our employee population, but where we live is, is so diverse. And so that's why diversity and inclusion is uh, very important. What we have put together um, over the years are a few things um, to support diversity and inclusion. For example, um, we have uh, the Diversity, Inclusion, and Acceptance Dialogue Series, DIA uh, Dialogue Series that um, we started a few years back. Um, and that was uh, so that we could appreciate what others bring to the table and that employees can see themselves in these forms that we were having um, uh, really uh, important conversations about um, different uh, groups. So. Uh, whether it's the LGBTQ community or African-American community or AAPI community, these dialogues, um, we get subject matter experts from locally and then from across the nation to have dialogues about uh, the importance of um, diversity, inclusion, and equity in any organization and uh, where we are now and where we need to go. During this COVID uh, pandemic, I can tell you that um, the d- disparities in education and healthcare and uh, employment uh, really came to light. And so we uh, dedicated a series of dialogues 
just on those topics. And again, inviting national and local experts to talk about why is it that uh, people of color are not doing well, faring well uh, during COVID. It's because of uh, their healthcare, because of their economic status. And so uh, we don't just talk about the problems, we talk about solutions, solutions that Los Angeles County has and solutions that these national experts are imploring um, uh, other places. Uh, so that uh, has been a great thing. We also required all of our employees to go through implicit bias training, knowing we all have implicit bias, but uh, don't put your bias on me. How do we uh, control that when we are engaging in HR activities or even management activities or even the services that we might be providing to um, the public? We make sure that we're looking at our minimum qualifications, that they're not creating barriers uh, to any group. We also look um, at our exams, making certain that there's not adverse impact to any one group um, or another. So we have done a lot in the area of uh, diversity. Our, and we train our interviewers, the panelists, to make sure that they are rec recognizing any potential biases that they may have so that they can um, fairly um, intervade uh, those people that are on, you know, that they're interviewing for a particular examination. Uh, we also in our county have established, our board established an anti-racism uh, initiative where mm -hmm. we're looking at mm -hmm. how we um, avoid uh, discrimination and racism within our own uh, workplace, but also outside of the workplace within the County of Los Angeles. We have done a number of things, and that's just DHR, but also other departments have done. And one of my favorite things, and I know this is a podcast and I cannot show you, is a declaration against racism that all of our department heads got together and, and, and compiled. We also each had some, uh, our own statements regarding um, avoiding racism and what we would do to eradicate it in our sphere of influence. And so these were put up for all employees uh, to see. So we are doing a number of things on that front. As far as automation, I will say one reason why I'm passionate about automation. Uh, one, we always have to make sure that there's uh, we are closing the digital divide, right? Not all communities mm -hmm. um, have computers, but the good news is that our live public libraries, which we have about 80 across the whole county, they do have computers available and they have assistance uh, to folks um, who can assist with uh, helping uh, to get on the computer, whether it's to make an application or just do research, et cetera. We also, for individuals who cannot use the computer, uh, we have them to come in uh, and we give one-on-one you know, -on -one service. But the reason why um, HR uh, automation is important is one of my goals has been uh, to automate all things HR. But I had to kind of change that a bit to now say automate and innovate all things HR, because what you put in place today is kind of like driving a car off of the lot, right? As soon as you drive it off, it depreciates. So uh, IT is so fast moving, we have to make sure uh, that we are keeping up with the times. HR is so fast moving and evolving. We have to make sure that we're always keeping up with the times. So to automate and innovate all things HR has been uh, my mantra that I'm uh, working on, primarily because uh, when I first came to HR, um, we were using, everything was a paper file and everything was a, 
uh, a manual practice. And there are a lot of lines of business in HR, as I, I mentioned earlier, but these paper processes were not efficient. They extended time to complete anything, <laughs> projects or assignments. They didn't allow you to pull data for decision-making and creating bottlenecks, et cetera. And so um, also as a decentralized model of HR we have in LA because we have like 37 departments, uh, I was not able to see what was happening in the line departments. And so I'm like, build these systems so that we can all be on the same page uh, and um, we can create some consistencies in how we are exercising our HR services across um, all of our 37 departments. And so building these systems has been uh, a great help, not only to HR, but also to um, our line departments. And I, I really saw that when COVID-19 hit, right? Because uh, now we could work remotely. We had digitized personnel systems. We have digitized systems for um, uh, applications and digitized systems for investigations, et cetera. So uh, that allowed us to be mobile and to, remote, and to work remotely um, by um, actually advancing um, automation. Who knew that we were going to have COVID and be shut down? Yep. But uh, we did know where the future of work was going. Hence, we started early on with automating all things HR. Well, what a comprehensive answer. And I remember we were, we were speaking, of course, uh, Lisa, before the podcast, that you were wondering whether you'd have enough to say. And I think uh, you've more than proven the comprehensive nature of the efforts that you're making with your department, which are certainly commendable. It sounds like there's a lot of, well, we call it in business, we call it innovative disruption. Uh, but it's, uh, it's changes, but it's innovative changes. And it's transformational rather than transactional. Uh, so that is, uh, that is certainly to your credit. You know, you've distinguished yourself by obtaining awards for your meritorious service. I was curious as to whether you could tell us and the listeners about them and what best practices you've been awarded for. Well, I will say this, Tom, that uh, any award that I have received, it really has to go to my team. Uh, mm -hmm. I have an awesome and dedicated group of HR professionals that bring it on a daily basis. And so um, I will take credit for selection of these individuals, but um, I can't take credit for um, all that we have done together. But uh, I did try to think of a few of the things that we have uh, done for one of my favorites is um, myself and my current and prior uh, CIO earned GovTech's award. It was called uh, Top 25 uh, Doers, Dreamers, and Drivers. I was very excited about that because it validated um, all the wonderful work we were doing in Los Angeles County around uh, automation. Uh, our county has been uh, at least four times out of the last six years. I didn't hear last year, but about we were in uh, one of Forbes magazine's best uh, employers. And um, we've also um, earned some ASFA awards that I, one year I got the uh, mm -hmm. Clarence Dykstra Award for public service or recognition for public service contributions that um, those have been very rewarding. And um, in our own county, wait, there's another ASFA thing that just happened at during the the conference a couple of weeks ago, uh, the H. George Fredrickson Award for Best Article, and I share that with Lauren, 
And then uh, lastly, um, in my own county, um, got from our own quality and productivity commission, a manager of the year award. But again, I don't do those. Uh, I, I can't take any credit for myself because it really is uh, my team. Well, that, of course, is very commendable. And, of course, uh, team efforts are the ones that, in terms of group dynamics, uh, as you know, teams get jobs done quicker than right. somebody doing it all alone. Yeah, and more, and work makes a dream work, right? Mm, exactly. Mm, yeah, sure, more efficiently, more effectively. But uh, it's certainly commendable because uh, Los Angeles County is so uh, – important and paramount and it's the center yeah. of so many things in the entertainment industry the the you know business technology it's uh i i would say it's kind of like the other side of the, the other side of the coin from new york uh but la is a very very uh different uh, different animal and especially with what you've had to do with covid i assume that you'll be getting people back to the office sooner or later with covid how is that uh uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're working on that uh, if it we, hasn't happened already. Yes, yes, we are working on that even as we speak, um, as are uh, the the tiers, you know, they have, uh, they have the tiers. We're not in the tier where we can remove everything, uh, but we're working on it. And so we are um, now building a reconstitution plans so that we can safely and effectively bring our employees back right now. We have about 40% of our employees working remotely. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing we've learned in uh, COVID that we can work remotely. So, uh, and I think remote work or telework as a business model helps any organization because now you can save uh, costs for uh, extra printers. You can save costs for uh, leases, et cetera. And so I think we're going to be here for a while, but we are working on a campaign to bring our folks back. We're making certain that we um, have uh, the desks, et cetera, our social, social distance, the bathrooms and every area in the public space. We're doing the same for when our, the public returns to our buildings. Our buildings are still uh, closed for right now. Um, but we are uh, definitely preparing for the return of our people. And, uh, but also to make sure that they uh, can remain mobile uh, because work can be done anywhere. Do you think that uh, there will be a portion of work that will still be devoted to COVID? Uh, I mean, to be devoted to onla- uh, online remote work permanently, or Absolutely. will? Absolutely. It, very interesting. That's very how, progressive. How how do you, uh, as an HR person, an HR management, um, deal with um, uh, issues related to remote work? Um, so what I mean by that is kind of oversight, understanding that people who are working remote may have a bit more independence in what they do. Um, so what, what are the, the new challenges in the public sector with uh, remote work, since this is definitely the direction things are going in? Managing, managing people, whether they're in front of you or at an uh, alternate site, really is the same, right? And so you try to put into into place uh, metrics or uh, make sure you have constant conversations with those individuals about uh, what they're going to be working on and what actually gets done. Uh, normally, you know, over the years, people have sat in front of a computer. Are they actually working? I don't know. right? And it's all about what the output is. And so we still have the same management practices 
uh, whether someone is sitting in front of us or not. I'm going to take Lauren for an example. Lauren has been remote working uh, almost during the entire uh, COVID time. But Lauren is a high performer and I never have to worry about is she working because I see her work product. And so the same thing will be for, uh, for other employees. Um, but we just try to make sure that the employees have the tools to use at home. Uh, and um, there are some concerns, of course, we wanna make sure that their home or wherever the remote work site is ergonomically correct. So then um, we don't create issues uh, later on. But for the most part, However, we manage people in the office is also how we manage uh, people away from the office. Might be some flexible work schedules, especially now where we have employees whose children you know, can't go to school or they're about to go back to school and it's uh, an issue all in itself. And then some we have in the sandwich generation, they're taking care of their children and their parents. And so we try to be flexible in, in, those, in those areas, considering really the needs of our employees. Uh, in the end, uh, it has been a huge learning exercise, but good because we have seen the many things we can do uh, remotely that we would not have seen otherwise. Uh, on my own uh, strategic plan, we're in uh, a big pieces of the future of work. What I love about COVID, you know, not certainly not um, all the devastation, but uh, the good part of COVID is that it has advanced us in the, the future of work more quickly than we could have done on our own. This yeah. is a, this is a it great answer. It shows that it works. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope everybody's listening out there because I I personally think COVID is the way. I, I mean, uh, online work is the wave of the future. And uh, even though it was serendipitous uh, because of COVID, uh, I think it's time has come. And I commend you uh, for your efforts in terms of recognizing that uh, in your workforce and in perpetuating it. We're, uh, we're running out of time. And I know you're a busy, busy woman so, uh, and, a busy, uh, and, a, and a busy director. Uh, so, uh, Lisa, do you have anything further you'd like to add? I just want to say again, thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you and Ben. Uh, I would like to give a shout out to all those who are in public service. Again, there is no higher calling than to serve others. I want to thank you all for what you do on a daily basis to serve our communities and the public. And uh, that's about it, Tom. Well said. Well said. I want to thank you, Lisa and Lauren, uh, for your participation today. And uh, I hope everybody will be looking forward uh, to listening to this very, very enlightening podcast. Ben, uh, good seeing you again. Same to you, Tom. And thank you, uh, Lisa and Lauren. Thank you. I, I have one more. So okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> good luck. Lisa, thank you again. Uh, Lauren, thank you very much for attending. And this has been the ASPA South Florida chapter podcast for this month. Uh, next month, uh, we are planning to have uh, a, uh, a federal government uh, employee who is uh, quite high in the, in the service. And we're tentatively planning to talk about how to get a great job in federal government and meander through all those marvelous steps uh, to get some nice, uh, to get a nice uh, pot, of, uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Thank you again, everybody, and have a great, great day.